Hello, and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. I'm Diane, I'm a mother of three, living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm trying to make room in my life for what matters by getting rid of the clutter and living life with purpose. I hope you'll join me on the journey to think more and do with less. The pandemic forced a lot of us to rethink everything. Our lifestyles, our personal relationships, even our careers. Now, when it comes to envisioning our future, financial expert Jill Schlesinger hears one question over and over. Is this really how I want to live? Jill is the Emmy-nominated and two-time Gracie Award-winning business analyst for CBS News and the host of the extremely popular podcast and nationally syndicated radio show, Jill on Money. Today, she joins me on the podcast to discuss how we can become more intentional with our finances, how we can reset our financial philosophies and tackle personal finance challenges this year. But before we get to the episode, I wanted to share a quick minimalist resource for you this week. I had the privilege of being a part of this upcoming summit. It's called the Gift of Burnout Summit. And I, along with other women, reveal what is really going on with the exhausted mom. I just wanted to direct this to your attention. It's a free summit. I'll include a link in the show notes for you. If you're finding that you are to the point of burnout or you're feeling sad or stuck, I think this could be a really beneficial time for you. Thank you to Heather Falter for putting this entire summit together and again for asking me to be a part of it. If you're listening to this episode the day that it goes live on January 24th, the 11-day summit begins on Monday, January 30th. You'll receive one video a day for 11 days and there's more information on the website. All right, let's get into this conversation with Jill. Jill, thanks so much for joining me on the Minimalist Moms podcast. It's great to be with you. I feel weird because I'm not a mom of humans, but I do consider myself a dog mom. So I'm just coming out of the gate with that. I see that in your Zoom picture. I love it. (laughs) You're not a mom, but you have such excellent advice that I really wanted to present this information to my listeners. So we will get into your new book today, The Great Money Reset. Before we get there, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and then we'll get started. My name is Jill Schlesinger, and you did a perfect pronunciation of my name, so I'm psyched about that. I work at CBS News as my day job. I'm called the business analyst. That means I report on the economy and finance and businesses and personal finance for CBS television and radio stations across the country. And then my little side hustle is that I have two podcasts and a radio show, and uh, the podcast, the big one, is called Jill on Money. I've basically been in business now for 35 years. I started my career as a commodities options trader. And I left that world. I became a financial planner and money manager. And that morphed into a career at CBS News. Essentially, what I try to do is distill very complicated financial topics in bite-sized pieces so that listeners and viewers can take it in. And I wrote this book. It was a natural outgrowth of the conversations that I've had with people pretty much over the last dozen years, but more specifically during the pandemic, I really started to hear different kinds of questions that were being asked of me. And I kind of turned a lot of those conversations into this overarching book called The Great Money Reset. I think that money is such a tricky subject, and I think it looked different for all of us, obviously, during the pandemic. But one thing's for sure, I think it was complicated for all of us of how we're going to make money or just what stability looks like and where we're spending our money. So I'm sure you got so many different questions. But today I want to focus on your book. Like you said, it's called The Great Money Reset. What does that even mean? What does it mean to have a great money reset? 
I really think that this is something that people have been grappling with for many, many years. It's just that the pandemic created this fuel and accelerated this idea. So you know when you're feeling a little bit disgruntled in where you are, feeling like you're not on the right track, not so much like, oh, I'm doing something completely stupid, but I'm not doing the thing that I really want to do. And what I found was after really trying to help people figure out how to do the things they thought they were supposed to do, I started getting questions that were really different. I mean, that were really about like, I want to make a major change to my life. The pandemic has made me realize what is really important. And it could be anything from telling your boss to screw off. It could be living in a whole different place. Maybe you were moving back to your family. Maybe you had kids in the pandemic and you were like, you know what? I don't want to be 1,500 miles away from my parents. Or I really would like to be near my sister. Or maybe I just need to figure out what that new path is for me. And I really want to understand how to do that. And what I have tried to take a look at in this process with people is, Why is it that we don't turn those fantasies into reality? I think it's because we get stuck. We don't really know how to break with whatever our existing reality is, and we don't know how to take meaningful action. So what I really wanted to try to do in this book was to create a framework to strategize your next financial move. I want you to break through and I want you to kickstart these personal transitions, but I want to give you guardrails so that you don't fall off and either not accomplish what you're setting out to accomplish or do something really stupid and make a big mistake. I do want to touch a little bit on your book, The Dumb Things Smart People Do With Their Money. Is that your other book you wrote? That is my first book, indeed. Well, before I talk about intentionality and minimalism with you, what is maybe one or two things that you've seen smart people do that aren't necessarily the best when it comes to our money? One of the big ones, and in fact, I encountered this today. So I had someone contact me, came onto my podcast, and we started talking. And they were like, well, you know, I retired when I was 57, and I thought I was all set. And then the market collapsed, and I'm not so all set. And so there's a couple of things that I think people do that's a really dangerous thing is that you make a decision about your life. You say, oh, you know what? Life is short. I don't really want to work forever. I want to live and have an enriching life before anything bad happens, which is admirable. But then you don't do the work to really find out whether or not you can accomplish this. And what I think is one big mistake is number one, I think people retire way too early. Number two, when people even do retire a little bit early, they tend to spend a lot of money in the first 10 years of retirement. And I think those are issues that are huge. When it comes to the other end of the spectrum, of course, you know, the obvious thing that everybody understands is not just that I have to live within my means, but I actually have to save money and that there's no magic solution to getting where I want to go. I actually have to do something around that. And the minimalism in it has to do a lot with how am I drowning out the noise to feel like I have to spend to be in a certain place? How am I doing that so that I can really take care of me and my family or just me and my kid? If you're a single mom or a single dad, single parent, how am I doing that? That's consistent. It feels good to me. How do I not get sucked into that accumulation machine where you just feel like, oh my God, I have to just do what everyone else is doing. And a lot of this is about just understanding what motivates you. And I don't think a lot of people want to sit down and talk about that. Well, I'm sure that you've seen within the pandemic, so many of us were home for a great majority of the past few years. Some of us are now working from home. And I think it's really easy to make frivolous purchases. I was listening to someone this morning. 
there was a man that had been talking about happiness and the correlation between loneliness and how loneliness will impact our spending. So many of us during the pandemic were lonely and finding ourselves just searching for something and spending money. So I'm assuming that that's something that you see and that it's a dumb thing that smart people do with their money. You can have a ton of money coming in, but if you're being frivolous with it, it doesn't matter. I mean, look, if you have tons and tons and tons of money and you're just makes you happy to spend and you're not putting yourself or any of your other goals at risk, fine. I don't really care. I'm very non-judgmental when it comes to the way people spend money, as long as they're not putting their own goals at risk. I think that what happens is when you're in a situation where you're spending that much money, if you don't examine why I'm spending this much money, gosh, I feel really lonely, or gosh, if I don't spend this money, I feel like I'm not going to be like my kid's going to be shut out of a social scene. I think that those choices can really start to hurt you going forward. I think that most of us really don't need to spend as much as we are spending. We are sort of in this phase of before the pandemic. I think we all realize there's probably like a consumptive mode to what we were doing that was a little bit out of control. The economy seemed to be getting back on track after the financial crisis people were spending. And then boom, the pandemic hits. And you do sort of find out like, Actually, all those things that I thought I actually had to do, we really were able to reorder it. It became very clear, especially for people who were under financial pressure early days of the pandemic before any of those economic stimulus plans were passed. People really understood, okay, my number one priority, feeding my family, housing my family, keeping my family safe. And after that, really, not much else mattered. And so I think it's important to kind of go back to the bad old days and that fear factor can help you really identify What is the important part of your family's annual spending pattern? Not the things you wish you could have. I'm not saying you shouldn't go on a trip. It's just that knowing what that monthly nut really is can help you determine so many other things in your life. So in this new book, you have 10 simple steps to fundamentally break down our finances and our habits. So I was going to have you share maybe a couple of your top tips. I mean, obviously, I want to direct listeners to your book, but what are some of your best takeaways and maybe regards to minimalism and intentional living and how that is woven into your book? When I have people who come on my program and they want to start talking about their financial lives, I think they are sort of surprised at how easy it is to get down to the nuts and bolts and to have a minimalist approach to your financial life is really kind of wonderful. And listen, I'm somebody of the industry. I get it. I get how it becomes gobbledygook to a lot of people. I also understand because I did a ton of research in the first book about how emotions do play into our financial and money decisions. But when you get down to it, It's really hard to figure out how to reset your life in a new way unless you actually understand where you stand today. You're going to order a rideshare service. You don't just say 12 miles away. You say, pick me up here. Where is here for you? And so I think that the easiest way to fall off the train of like, how do I take control of my life is to not pay attention and take a good hard look at where you stand today. You have to calculate what you own, your assets, what you owe, your liabilities. And then once you've tallied everything up, you want to say, okay, what's available to me? What's liquid? Not like 
an IRA account where you'd have a big tax burden, not money that's equity in your home. Because when you go through transitions, so much is unknown. And I think people don't realize they may need more cash on hand than they think to cover expenses they never could have predicted. And I think that when you take this good, hard look, it sort of refocuses your attention. And the second aspect of that is what I call in the book, curb your consumption. The idea of focusing on your spending is really tough because it forces us to look at how we are spending and what our habits are and what's going on behind the behavior. And, you know, you don't have to blow through your life savings to make a big financial or money reset. A lot of people went through the pandemic and they could rethink their consumption habits. And what I'm trying to get people to realize is you're not saying, oh, if you stop drinking a latte, you're going to become a millionaire because that's bullshit. It's just not going to happen. And the math never worked on that anyway. But if you really can reduce your expenses and direct those resources towards your dreams, then we're getting somewhere. So I want everyone to try to throw away the judgments that you have about your own consumption or your spouse's consumption and really try to understand that you can ask yourself some questions. What do I really need in my life? What do I only think I need? Do I ever find myself feeling guilty or insecure or anxious about a purchase that I make? Do I find myself making impulsive purchases? If so, when and why? I think if you can answer some of those questions, you are leading down a path of minimalism in that you will curb your consumption. And I think that can really pave the way to a great money reset. Absolutely. That was well said. Is there anything that you see that will move the needle, so to speak, for finances that maybe we could start today, start next week, start soon? Obviously, everyone's financial portfolio looks different, but are you seeing any consistencies that's like, hey, this is a big game changer? Obviously, consumption, I would say, is probably the number one thing. What are we bringing in and being intentional and being honest with ourselves about what our habits are? But is there anything else that you've seen? It's so funny. I remember like when I first got to CBS... I would say things that would make producers roll their eyes a little bit like, duh, Jill, I know everyone knows that. But I'm going to tell you that some of the things, like you said, like consumption, it's obvious, but many people don't do it. I mean, whether you make $10,000 a year or $10 million a year, I think that having an idea of what's coming in and what's going out, your intentionality around like what that is, not your obsession intentionality is very different. Obsession like, oh, I just got the hugest bonus. I'm a great person. No, you're not. You're probably lucky. You're in a good industry. Great. Good luck. But the reality is just having that focus and just knowing that. But then having your financial life on autopilot is a total game changer. So if you go back 20 years and you say, how did people do this? It was a much more difficult task. Today, if you put much of your life on autopilot, whether that means tracking your expenses, but it also can mean making sure that you have automatic payments set up for every bill that you have, meaning that credit card bill, if you're unlucky, you're carrying a balance, you want to automatically send money to that card company every single month so you don't have a fee or you don't have a late fee or you can kind of whittle it down. If you are trying to save money for your retirement, It is trying to put that money away automatically in a 401k plan. Or if you're maintaining your own Roth IRA account, having that money come automatically from your checking into your Roth. All of this is to say that if you can automate your financial life as much as possible, it allows you to think bigger about other aspects of your life. So automation is huge. And then finally, 
you know, sometimes the, the really boring stuff does work. If you think that there is some magic man or woman behind a curtain who can figure out how to make your $5 into $5 million, just be careful. I mean, you want to go out and take a risk. You want to buy cryptocurrency 10 years ago and it's fun. Great. But try to limit the amount of money that you're putting into any very risky investment to 5% of your total assets. And if you stick to that, you may not become a millionaire overnight, but you're not going to blow all the important things that you really want to do. You're not going to have your kid's college fund go to zero. Yeah. I know nothing about finances. My husband deals with all of that, which my mom is a financial advisor. <laughs> and she's always like, if your husband dies, you're going to be left to not know any of this. So she's, this is great to have you here. And she started going through your book because I need to learn this stuff. But is there anything that you've seen like post pandemic that's so radically different from beforehand, or is it still fairly the same? I don't think that finances have really changed much. I think there are some questions that have arisen because of the pandemic. And what do I mean by that? I think that there were people early in the pandemic. So just go to 2020 and 2021. It was so scary. It was so volatile. Investing seemed like a nutty thing to do. And then all of a sudden, markets were just powering forward. And I think that what happened in the pandemic is we learned two huge lessons. My dad was a trader on Wall Street for many years, and he used to say, it's never as good or as bad as you think. And so in 2019, 2020, 2021, people were like kicking their heels and saying, I'm such a genius. I opened up a Robinhood account. I'm so smart. Great. And then last year comes and it's all washed away. And it was a dreadful year last year for investors, but it was also a really great year the year before. And so I think a lot of people start to wonder, like, do old rules apply? And I think some of them really do with a little bit of a caveat. Like, I think you should diversify. And I think you should have a great asset allocation plan. You shouldn't have all your eggs in one particular basket. On the other hand, if you do want to take a flyer on something, be smart about it, limit the amount of money you put in there, but also be rigorous about taking your gains. I tell the story in the book of a guy who contacted us at the end of 21, I think it was November 21, and he had owned a whole bunch of crypto and he just let it ride. He had sold some of it off just to pay off some debts but he had so much money in there. And I said to him, you know, if you sell the bulk of this off right now, you will actually change your entire family's financial life. You will have choices. But if you let it sit there, you may look back at me and say, you're an idiot. Look at how much money I could have made. Or you're going to contact me and say, you are so smart. Thank you. So right now he's telling me I'm smart. I really wasn't smart. The old rule about like, don't just let a massive position sit outside your grasp when you can actually take that money and make a huge change. And I think from these past three years of the pandemic, you should have learned a lesson that markets go up, markets go down. Disciplined investing means doesn't mean you don't have to take a shot. It doesn't mean you can't have some fun. It means that you have to really manage your risk and be smart about it. And if you don't know what you're doing, there's tons of resources out there. And I don't mean go to YouTube or watch a TikTok video. You should be careful about where you take your advice from. But there's many more credible sources for money management, financial planning that are very easy to use. They can be automatic. They can be online. They can be hybrid models. It's out there. And I think when you come to the end of the day, when it comes to things like the post-pandemic period, the most important thing that's come out of that is that many of us were forced to really examine our lives. And that is not a comfortable place. Look, I'm an Upper West Side New York Jew. I love examining my life. I'll talk to anybody anytime. Like I'm very shrinked. Uh -huh. But you know what? 
People don't like to do that. This pandemic forced it. And sometimes that's more important than crunching the numbers. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that with the market, from what I know, it is a pendulum that swings back and forth. So I can definitely see that and believe that. But I do also see that money is uncomfortable and it's uncomfortable to face the reality of maybe the debt that we've gotten ourselves into. But it's not going to go away just because we don't look at it. And that's the thing that we have to face. And so we can plan that next step. You know what? It's funny you should say that because I think what often will happen is that people are really tough on themselves. I don't think that people walk around and say, I don't want to do this because I am constitutionally, I object to making a change. I think it's embarrassing for people. I have spoken to many people. I was with a group of people recently who were sort of sheepishly saying like, I kind of get the whole money reset, Jill, but like, I'm really scared about what is my identity once I get off this treadmill. And I think that a lot of people who sort of dream about things really are held back by their fear. And I think that's even just sometimes going through the process of thinking about a reset, working through the steps, having the framework, it gives you more information. Or, you know, my friend's a financial planner. He says, you know, you really want to get people to the place that if they're in a meeting, they can say, I am just one bad meeting away from chucking it all and executing my money reset. That's like freedom. And it may make you feel a lot better in your current position if you're willing to get rid of the fear, get rid of the judgment, look at it. No one really cares. Don't worry. You might have this big fight that's been going on with your spouse forever. It's sort of dumb. You know, you're not fighting about that anyway. You're fighting about something else. So if you need to bring a third party in to help you, do that. But don't let the fear factor hold you back. Look, planning a great money reset is really about building more financial resilience and maximizing opportunities that are open to us down the road. And so I think if you take responsibility right now for your own future happiness, you're going to increase the odds that you will be empowered and in control of your destiny later on. So that's why you should do this. Great. Well, Jill, where can listeners find you, connect with you online or grab a copy of your new book? So you can go to my website, jillonmoney.com, and there you can get the book, have fun reading through it, and also check out my podcast and radio show and my blog. Perfect. Well, as we wrap things up here, I'm going to ask you the two questions that I ask every guest. And the first one is, what has been a beneficial resource to you that you'd like to share with the listeners? You're going to make fun of me for this, and I can take it, okay? I'm coming out of the closet. Ready? Are you ready? You're not going to believe it, but the IRS website is incredibly helpful. It is a beautiful searchable website that will give you tons and tons and tons of information. So every time you're thinking about some question that you're thinking and you ask a question to your search engine and you put IRS after it, generally speaking, there is actually a really helpful resource right there. So I'm giving props to the federal government and the IRS for having a gorgeous website. I'm not going to tell you that you're going to get your tax return faster. I'm just telling you it's chock full of information and I go to it all the time. All right. Well, my last question, then I'll let you go, is what is something that you can't stop talking about? And this can be something silly, fun, serious, whatever you want to share. I can't believe this. I'm sort of in the tank for one of my podcast advertisers, but I'm just going to tell you this right now. I'm so obsessed with Cozy Earth Sheets. I think they sponsor my CBS stuff. They're so freaking soft. I seriously cannot believe it. And so I gave these sheets away for the holidays. I'm obsessed with it. Okay, that's it. I I mean, it's embarrassing because they are a sponsor. So full disclosure, sponsor of my, I think of the CBS radio network. 
I've definitely been there. Athletic Greens sponsored me last January. And I'm like, we have to get that going again because it's something that I use almost every single day. And it's kind of cool to get to try new things being in this position. But yes, I could sing the praises of Athletic Greens every day. I know. It's like embarrassing. Okay. One other, just one other thing. So I'm a big cyclist. I love my Peloton. The other thing that, that I found last year specifically, I just love riding my bicycle outside and being outside really is different. So if you are are an indoor cyclist and you love it, great. Get outside, enjoy it. It is a totally different experience. You are brave enough to ride around New York City. I mean, I guess you've lived there your whole life, but well, I, wait a minute. Oh, I'm okay. not brave enough to ride around New York City. Okay. I ride outside of New York City, but you know okay. what? I was training for a big charity ride last year. Uh So I usually ride out. I have a summer home and I ride where my summer home is. And I rode, you know, I did a little bit, but I signed up. I got totally hustled into doing this ride. 275 miles, Boston to New York AIDS ride. And I was like, oh God, that is intense. It's three days, 275 miles. So I started training outside again. And it was really amazing. And you know what else is amazing? When you train for a goal like that, like training for any, like basically any financial goal you set out, you don't do it all at once. It's like just a great reminder is that you do step by step, you get there. And then some days are going to be horrible days. Some days are going to be good days. And at the end of the process, I was able to complete 275 miles outside in three days. It was amazing. And I encourage people to just get outside, walk, run, bike, be outside. That's a good thing. I am all about being outside with myself and my kids. So, well, I think that's a great place to end it. Jill, thank you again for joining me. This was very helpful. And I can't wait to finish your book and start implementing some of these things this year. So thank you for writing it. Thanks for having me. What did you think of the episode? I hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guest, including links, resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at minimalistmomspodcast.com, where you can find the entire podcast archive, as well as my book, Minimalist Moms, Living and Parenting with Simplicity, or other ways to connect or work with me online. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave a rating or review of your favorite episode. Lastly, sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends on social media is very helpful and will encourage others on their journey to think more and do with less.